Off a day, and welcome to another episode of Live Till Five. I'm your host, Jared Baldwin. It's 3:05 p.m. on Friday, August 19th. Glad you're with us today, broadcasting high atop the campus of Harvest Ministries from the worldwide headquarters of Harvest Family Radio, KHMG 88.1 FM, here in Barragata, Guam. Looking out over the remaining stragglers in Carline, maybe you're one of those listening on the radio. Glad you're with us today. Kids, you survived your first full week of school. Congratulations. Parents, now you can get back to a normal routine. Aren't you happy? And uh, hopefully you enjoy your weekend. It's partly, mostly cloudy outside. Looks like we're getting ready to get some rain here very soon. And, uh, you know, I think we've had enough rain uh, to last us for a little while. We had such a dry spring and summer, and now we've had a very, very monsoon trough uh, month, uh, the last three or four weeks, it's been pretty crazy. So glad you're with us today. And uh, maybe you're listening online through khmg.org. You can go there, and there are a couple different ways you can tune in through that website, including the TuneIn app, which you can download to your phone or your tablet, your computer. You can listen to a stream online, real-time, with our show, the nice thing about the TuneIn app is you can pause the show if you have to step away from the computer or your phone for a while. You can also listen to our podcast. If this is not a convenient time for you to catch the whole show, download the podcast through SoundCloud, and that link is also on khmg.org. And you can uh, forward slash LTF, or you can just look for Live Till 5 there and click on that. And you have access to SoundCloud, which is where we store the podcast not only from this show, which we are in the 179th episode, but also other programs that we produce locally here at Harvest Family Radio. And we want that to be available to you so you can listen at your convenience. And uh, because we know that not everyone is a wall-to-wall listener. Two hours of listening to the radio, some people just can't do that. You're running errands, you're in the car just for a few minutes at a time. We hope that we're entertaining you and edifying you in your Christian walk and uh, encouraging you, maybe educating you about a few things. And uh, we're glad that you're spending your Friday afternoon with us. It might not be Friday afternoon for you. You're listening to this. You're like, wait a minute. It's not Friday. Well, you're listening to the rebroadcast. Saturdays, noon to two, Sunday nights, seven and nine p.m. Catch us on the rebound. We do that on purpose because we figure Saturdays from noon to two, you might be running the kids to soccer practice, or maybe you're out heading to the grocery store, Kmart or Macy's or If you're really crazy, Ross, and uh, you're running those errands, or maybe Sunday night you're heading home from church or Bible study, and uh, you're in your car, and we want to just catch your attention, kind of capture that attention. So Saturdays, noon to 2, Sunday night, 7 to 9 p.m., catch us on the rebound when we rebroadcast the show in its entirety, and uh, we want to be a blessing to you. Been doing this show for a long time, over two and a half years now. Going to hit our three-year anniversary on this show uh, sometime in the early part of 2017, episode 179 today, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Had a lot of 
cool experiences. Had a lot of great guests up here, politicians, local leaders, community organizers, uh, people here at Harvest that are in charge of different big programs, uh, people that have achieved really neat things. We've had a ninja warrior on here before. We've had people that have gone to the Olympics. We've had people that have uh, gone to the military academies. We've got people who were in planes that caught on fire. We've had a lot. Most of those, if they're not already on podcast, they will be sometime over the next few months as we keep uploading old episodes. So we're glad that you're with us today. Now, it is August 19th, and a number of things happen in the month of August. Not a lot of holidays today, necessarily, as I look at the 19th. Today is Aviation Day. It's also Black Cow Day, Root Beer Float Day, which I could get into a root beer float right about now. Could uh, you, Sebastian? You like root beer floats? Oh, I love root beer floats. Oh, man. You just cannot get over that. That smooth, uh, sultry voices, Sebastian. Uh, Basil Dua. You got it, bro. Oh, man, I've been working on that. And uh, you maybe recognize Sebastian's voice because he's been doing the weather and the verse of the day, things like that, and uh, works here in the radio station. So he's my wingman for today. And he'll be on the show a little later. It's He's got storm stories, and that's our theme for today is storms and natural disasters, volcanoes and flooding and all those cheery things to help you be encouraged on this Friday afternoon. But anyway, back to the list. It's also International Orangutan Day. Um, and World Humanitarian Day. Tomorrow, the 20th, International Geocaching Day. That's uh, kind of a fun sport where you use your GPS. You can go around. Have you ever done that before, Sebastian? Uh, yeah, I've, and I've seen you know uh, fathers of friends that do it. They go hardcore in it. Oh, yeah. Here on Guam, it was really big before. I don't know if, if it's been overtaken by Pokemon Go. Pokemon <laughs> Go is kind of like the 21st century yeah. of geocaching. But also, it's uh, International Homeless Animals Day, International Tongue Twister Day. Uh-huh which is hard to say, National Radio Day. Tomorrow's National Radio Day. Wow. Your boss should take you out for breakfast. I should have mentioned you should this to him. talk to him. Yeah, maybe he's listening to radio. I don't have breakfast normally. And you should have honey on your toast because it's also World Honey Bee Day. Uh, let's see. Sunday, Brazilian Blowout Day, National Spumoni Ice Cream Day, mm-hmm. Poets Day, and Senior Citizens Day. He said Senior Citizens Day. Anyway, uh, Monday, the 22nd, Be an Angel Day, Southern Hemisphere Hoodie Who Day, I have no what that no idea what that means. Take your cat to the vet day, National Tooth Fairy Day, and America Cup Day, America's Cup Day, and then uh, a number of other holidays next week. There's a day for remembrance for the slave trade and its abolition. Uh, let's see, Valentino Day, Ride the Wind Day, National Plumbers Day, National Sponge Cake Day, Permanent Press Day, Knife Day, uh, Plumo Pluma. <laughs> This is tongue twister day. Uh, on the twenty fourth, which happens to also be my anniversary, Pluto demoted day, oh. Vesuvius day. That's what got us thinking about natural disasters. As uh, Sebastian and I were looking at things that were happening this next week, uh, Vesuvius, Mount Vesuvius, blowing its top. Uh, we're going to talk about volcanoes a little later. Uh, let's see here: William Wilberforce Force Day, National Waffle Iron Day, and National Peach Pie Day. Mm, good piece of peach mm. pie. Haven't had one of those in a while. Uh, the 25th, Kiss and Makeup Day, National Park Service Day, National Secondhand Wardrobe Day. Uh, let's see here. Hershey, Pennsylvania Dutch Days, International Zucchini Festival, and National Banana Split Day. And finally, next Friday, National Dog Day, National uh, uh, Tug of War Day, Women's Equality Day, Daffodil Day, and Cherry Popsicle Day. Wow, something tasty every single day this next week. That is great, and uh, those inspired us to uh, 
have our theme for today, which is volcanoes, flooding, and other natural disasters. But right now I want to play one of my favorite segments of the show. It's called The Buck Stops Here. Words of wisdom from the desks and walls of many successful people. Some are barons of industry. Some are inventors, politicians, theologians, professors, geniuses. And today is no exception. One of the primary geniuses of American history. One of the most prolific inventors in history holding 1,093 U.S. patents in his name. Thomas Edison developed many devices that greatly influenced life around the world, including the phonograph and the long-lasting practical electrical light bulb. Dubbed the Wizard of Menlo Park by a newspaper reporter, often credited with the creation of the first industrial research laboratory, his advanced work in communication and in particular telecommunications was an outgrowth of his early career as a telegraph operator. Edison originated the concept and implementation of electric power generation and distribution to homes, businesses, and factories. Unless you ask uh, Nikolai Tesla, of course. Mm. A crucial development in the modern industrialized world. And the quote on his desk was, There is a better way to do it. Find it. Thomas Edison. Great inventor in U.S. history. And the buck stops here. I love looking back and uh, hearing what some of these... uh, sage historical figures of the United States have uh, left behind. And some of those quotes aren't their quotes. They're quotes that they have from other people that they put on their desk or something that is like a mantra that they would focus on, like to help them help them stay focused as they were working. And so uh, Thomas Edison obviously accomplished a lot. Uh, I heard he's pretty tough competitor, like kind of vicious, but um, who knows? Wasn't there hmm. a few idioms here. You know, last week we talked about a number of different idioms like dyed in the wool or um, uh, a couple others that, that had like clothing over the last few weeks, dressed to the nines. We had that one, a um, uh, couple others that basically have some type of clothing uh, implication in the, in the idiom itself. And uh, this idiom book, the Dictionary of Idioms, was provided by PC, one of our faithful listeners. I love to use listener-submitted material. Matter of fact, if you ever have an idea for the show, you can contact us through Facebook, Harvest Family Radio. Like us, like click the little thumbs up and leave a comment. Give us an idea what you'd like to hear on Live Till 5. That's where the idioms came from. Bunch of clothing idioms today. Air your dirty laundry in public, ants in your pants at the drop of a hat, eat your hat, feather in your cap, fly by the seat of your pants, give someone the shirt off your back, goody two shoes, handle with kid gloves, hat in hand, hit below the belt, hot under the collar, if the shoe fits, wear it, keep something under your hat, keep your shirt on, lose your shirt, old hat on a shoestring, pass the hat, pull a rabbit out of a hat, shoe is on the other foot, stuffed shirt, take off your hat to someone, talk through your hat, throw your hat into the ring, Tied to someone's apron strings, tighten your belt, too big for your britches, waiting for the other shoe to drop, wear your heart on your sleeve, and a wolf in sheep's clothing. All idioms that have to do with dress and appearance. Here are some other ones. They all begin with the letter E. Early bird catches the worm. 
meaning a person who gets up early and starts a project ahead of others has the best chance of accomplishing his or her goal. This is true. Like uh, if you ever watch some of these endurance races, like the Iditarod, for example, you get up early and uh, you get on the trail before everyone else. You get there quicker. Easy as pie. Man, all these food references today are killing me. Mm. Means not a, not difficult, requiring practically no effort. Now, the origin of this easy as pie idiom, there are two similar modern idioms that mean ex- extremely easy. Easy as pie or piece of cake. Why should they both relate to baked desserts? Perhaps to people who coined the phrases, desserts were easier to make than other foods, but we really don't know. So piece of cake or easy as pie. Both make me hungry. Easy as rolling off a log means very, very, very easy. In the United States in the 1830s, when the idiom was first used, logs were often floated down rivers from the forest to the lumber mills. Men held contests to see who could stand upright on a floating log the longest. Most men fell into the river because it's extremely difficult to remain standing on a floating log and extremely easy to fall off of one. So anything that's effortless is, quote, as easy as rolling off a log, end quote. This expression is related to easy as pie. Easy come, easy go means something totally different. It means to be easily obtained as money. Something that can be easily obtained as money can be lost or parted with just as easily. The saying goes all the way back to the famous Canterbury Tales. Remember that from a British literature class? No, me neither. Written in the 1300s, the author, Geoffrey Chaucer, now it's coming back to me, was saying that if you get something quickly and easily without really working hard for it, you'll probably spin it or lose it just as quickly. Easy come, easy go. Here's an eating one, but it's not very uh, delectable. Eating crow. Have you ever had to eat crow to be forced to do something very disagreeable to acknowledge a mistake or a defeat? Basically, if you had to eat crow, that's a terrible, humbling activity, and crow tastes terrible, and you have to be pretty humble to eat some. Or eating humble pie, which is to be apologetic or suffer humiliation, to admit guilt. It's very similar to eating crow, but it comes from medieval times when they when there really was a pie called umble or numble pie. Umbles were the heart, liver, and entrails of a deer and other animals, and only the servants ate a pie made out of animals' guts. Umble pie was changed to humble, which means lowly and meek. By the early 1800s, the expression eat humble pie meant profusely apologizing for a humiliating error. Here's a few more, and then we'll take a short break. Eat out of your hand means to be very cooperative and submissive. Eat. You, out of house and home, this one hits very close to home for me with my teenage son. To be so expensive to feed and keep that a person that is paying for it cannot afford it anymore. William Shakespeare uses famous saying in one of his plays around the year 1600, but it probably goes back as far as 2,000 years. House and home mean the same thing, of course. Eat your hat. That's a statement made when you're positive that something will happen. Uh, great writers like Charles Dickens use this expression. Eat your heart out means to feel extremely unhappy and in a hopeless situation, make yourself sick with grief and worry. This goes all the way back to Homer's Odyssey. Eat your words to have to take back what you said and admit humbly that you were wrong. Okay, And then finally, the last idiom, another food one egg on your face, to be very mm-hmm. embarrassed or humiliated for something foolish that you did or said. The American saying is probably from the 1950s. You, it could have come from the image of a sloppy eater, humiliated because he or she has food like egg on his or her face. Or it could have come from the custom of rude audiences in the old days throwing raw eggs at performers they didn't like. 
to be standing on a stage in front of an angry crowd with egg on your face must have been mortifying. And those are some idioms, hopefully expanding your vocabulary of idioms. You know what? We're going to take a short break. When we come back, a little more live till 5, including this day in history, What's in My Coffee, Stranger Than Fiction, Storm Stories with Sebastian, and the topic of the day, Natural Disasters. Stick around more live till 5 after this short break. With a little more live till five, I'm your host Jared Baldwin, joined in studio by the one and only Sebastian Basildua. Mm-hmm. I need to say his name out loud at least ten times a day, so I make sure I say the last name correctly. Basildua. I'm saying it right, right? You are saying it yes, right. Yes. It rolls off the tongue once you understand how it's spelled. It's pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. It used to be something. I said it totally different, but if I say it that way, then I'll start saying it that way again, and I don't want to do that. So. <laughs> Uh, but Sebastian's my wingman today. He's going to be giving us some storm stories in a little bit because we do have a theme of disasters today. To you know, we're not trying to be downers or anything, but there are a few disasters in the news. And with Vesuvius Day coming up next week on my anniversary, the twenty fourth, I thought, well, maybe it'd be a good time to talk about disasters. Not that my anniversary is a disaster, mind you. My wed- my marriage is awesome. <laughs> it's the best twenty five years of marital bliss. Nothing like Mount Vesuvius blowing up and destroying uh, the island of Pon- Pompeii. Anyway, moving right along, uh, because it is disaster day, I wanted to just start touching on the topic just a little bit. And then if our coffee is not here, and if we're not ready for this day in history, I'll have Sebastian share one of his many storm stories with us. If not, if Lawrence shows up first, then we'll save the stories for a second hour. But the deadliest volcanic eruptions since 1500 A.D. And this is according to the U.S. Geological uh, Service. Okay. In, uh, let's see here, in Colombia, Nevado del Ruiz, 1985, 25,000 casualties due to mud flows after the volcanic eruption. Mount Pele in Martinique, Martinique, very small country. 1902, 29,025 people died, 29,025 people as casualties due to the pyroclastic flows. And I think we're going to talk about what that is in a little while. Krakatoa in Indonesia, 1883. I've heard about this one. Due to the tsunami it created, it killed 36,417 people. Or this one, even worse, in the early 1800s, Tambora, Indonesia, 1815, starvation due to the fallout from the volcano, killed 92,000 people from one volcano. Uh, uh, Unzindaki, Japan, 1792, volcanic collapse and tsunami, 14,000 people died. Laki, Iceland, Due to starvation, 9,000 people died in 1783. And Kelut, Indonesia. So Indonesia's had three major 
uh, volcanic eruptions in the last uh, 1,500 years or 500 years. 1586, 10,000 people approximately passed away. Other notable, notable volcanic eruptions. Mount Pinatubo, Philippines, 1991, 350 casualties, primarily because of roof collapse. So much ash fell in such a short period of time that buildings were not equipped to hold the ash. And so Clark Air Base and the city there uh, surrounding it, including other areas, uh, 350 people died. Mount St. Helens, Washington, 1980, 57 people died from asphyxiation and ash. Uh, Kailua, Hawaii, I'm probably saying that wrong, 1924, one person died, one person died. And Lassen Peak, California, nobody died, but in 1915, that was a pretty notable volcanic eruption. And then, of course, the holiday that we are going to not really celebrate, but in 79 AD, Mount Vesuvius in Italy erupted, and they think that about 3,360 people died from pyroclastic flow and we'll talk about what that is a little bit later but yeah we celebrate mount vesuvius day on the 24th of august not really celebrate we memorialize so sebastian we're still waiting for our coffee to come in so you have a few storm stories give us one of your best storm stories oh one of the best okay well um i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with uh uh, a favorite of mine Uh, when i was growing up i had a, a good doctor of mine you know i was just a kid um, and you know, he told me that, that, uh, he, he was leaving. He's, he's not gonna be my doctor anymore. And I was, I was really sad cause you know, he's my favorite doctor. So, um, he said, yeah, I'm going down to new Orleans and, uh, you know, I just kind of feel like the Lord's leading me down there. I'm like, okay. So, uh, you know, he goes down there and, and that next year, uh, Katrina hits. I thought that was, that was very interesting. You know, you were a child when Katrina hit. It's yeah. Wow, I f- I'm feeling kind of old. Right I was now. a little, little, little guy. <laughs> wow. But uh, I mean, he he went down there, and um, you know, I I don't know if he crossed paths with this other guy that that I got this story from. Um, this pastor I knew he he uh, he went down there to help out with uh, relief efforts, and uh, basically. Uh, he got caught up in a scenario with with a bunch of cops at a police station and you know there's a lot of looting going on it wasn't just it wasn't just a storm and everything it, there was looting going on and so these cops told him hey we don't know if these people are going to come and uh don't we don't know if they're going to shoot a pastor but uh you know don't take any chances if they come here we want you to run and uh and so he uh gunfire started going down and he ran out of there and he never he never heard from him again. So uh, hmm. just some, some crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. 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 When Katrina hit, when it was at its worst, we had, um, we were here on Guam having a Sunday evening fellowship down at the USO beach. We had an all church picnic and, and sing along and things like that. And we had a family in our church that was from uh, Louisiana and um, uh, they were from the area that was flooded and, where the levees had given way and loss of houses and things like that. And so now another generation, you know, now a few years later, people are starting to see the same thing happen again with the current Louisiana flooding. And I actually have some stats on that. Let me pull that up here. Louisiana, one of the worst U.S. disasters in recent years, according to BBC News today. The heavy rain has caused historic flooding in the U.S. state of Louisiana, bringing as much as 
31 inches or 79 centimeters across one-third of the state. If you've ever been to Louisiana, it's very swampy uh, in most areas. As a matter of fact, when you drive through Louisiana, the couple times I used to go to camp down there, uh, a lot of the cemeteries, the, the graves are actually above ground. So uh, it's a very Catholic state. As a matter of fact, it's the only state in the Union, I believe, that instead of counties, they have parishes based on the Catholic system instead of the Protestant or secular system, I guess. And so they have parishes, but every little area has a has a cemetery, and all the graves are actually above ground. So the caskets are in vaults that are on top of the ground because of the groundwater. And in some of the pictures that I saw on CNN yesterday, caskets floating down the street and stuff like that because they get churned up from, from underground, I guess. So far... As of the the printing of this article, 13 people killed, 40,000 homes damaged, and 30,000 water rescues. One of our friends here, Ken Keith, was talking about he had a friend that was texting him, and their sister was in a truck. The truck was pulling a boat, and their family was in the truck, and they had had to evacuate their area, and they were on top of a hill, and the water had come in behind them and in front of them. And they were afraid the water was going to overtake the hill, and then they were going to have to get in the boat and rescue themselves because they called 911, but because they weren't in imminent life-threatening danger, they could not be rescued because, um, because they did have a boat, and they could get in it. And there were so many other people in dire situations. So um, this year, this summer, uh, the month of August, Louisiana has already seen four times the average amount of rainfall for the month of August. And the month is really only halfway over. Um, much of the portion of the states, uh, the state from northern Mississippi border all the way to the Gulf of Mexico saw rainfall of at least 15 inches over 48 hours. That's about 11,000 square miles, uh, that area. That's about the size of Connecticut. 86,500 registrations for disaster assistance have come in since Sunday. And $3.7 million uh, have been approved so far. For disaster relief to the area, and um, the heaviest rainfall is almost 32 inches in Watson, Louisiana. Uh, let's see here. Um, one parish in East Baton Rouge, officials believe 75% of the homes that have been damaged um, uh, due to the flooding and uh, are going to have major damage. FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, has made the disaster declaration in 20 of the state's 64 parishes. That's like counties. So 20 of the 64, that's why they're saying the third. And again, almost 90,000 people have registered for disaster assistance. Thousands of members of the U.S. National Guard have been deployed to the region to assist uh, with search and rescue operations. And the Red Cross said it's launching its largest relief effort in America since Hurricane Sandy in 2012. In almost four years since Sandy, other major disasters in the U.S. have included, among others, the 2014 Washington State mudslide that killed 43 people. I don't even remember that being in the news, but 43 people died in one mudslide. Uh, Moore, Oklahoma, M-O-O-R-E, or Moore, Oklahoma, had a tornado that killed 24 people and involved $2 billion in damage, Uh, or... Major flooding and tornado outbreaks in Texas and Oklahoma in 2015, which killed 31, a lot of them uh, in water crossing areas, I believe. And then in 2016, the East Coast blizzard, which killed 45 people. And I remember 
uh, friends and family having to travel during those times. Those are all examples of other great storms. Uh, great, not like good great, but great, like huge great, that the Red Cross have had to deal with in recent years. On Tuesday, Governor Bell Edwards made a comment that while federal agencies have been responsive, the flooding had not received as much attention as some of the major hurricanes that have hit the area in the past. When you have a storm that's this unnamed, it wasn't a tropical storm, it wasn't a hurricane. A lot of times people underestimate the impact it would have, Mr. Edwards said, calling the flood historic and unprecedented. And that is from CNN, or no, BBC, sorry, BBC. Great article, a lot of pictures. Very sad, of course, to see families in pontoon boats and uh, bass fishing boats with their kids and some of their belongings in trash bags and uh, losing their homes. That water damage uh, here in Guam, because we have concrete homes and oftentimes tile floors, water comes into the house. And even if you lost the sheetrock on the wall, if you had sheetrock on your walls, the, the walls themselves would remain standing. And with a little bit of bleach and elbow grease, you could clean the house back up. But in the States, the houses are a wooden structure. Um, like in Louisiana, they have, they're built on a wooden slab or on like little stilts almost. And uh, when the water comes in, it destroys everything. The carpet, which they usually have instead of tile, or the wood floors swell up and are destroyed. Um, all the wet wood attracts termites, of course, and mildew and mold. And then, of course, the sheetrock and everything just disintegrates with water. And so everything gets destroyed. We had a minor flood in our house uh, here on Guam one time from a broken water pipe, and it caused thousands and thousands in damage. And that was just a few minutes of a broken pipe. Imagine the water coming in and getting three or four feet deep in your home. Everything that is at that level is going to be destroyed. And anything above that level, because of the humidity and everything else, could also be destroyed. And so sometimes it's a total loss. And um, homeowner's insurance oftentimes doesn't cover flooding. You have to have special insurance for flooding. And I don't know if people that live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, can uh, get flood insurance because it's flooded before. So pretty crazy. Now, Sebastian, you have another storm story for us? Uh, you know, going back to when I was a little kid, you know, I was in the Little League. And uh, we, were, we were practicing outside. And I just remember looking up, you know, we were standing near this big cornfield and we're practicing. Uh, and, and I look up and I see this, this huge black cloud, you know, and I'm, it's kind of eerie, you know, eerie feeling. So I run over to the coach and I'm like, hey, coach, uh, you know, what do we do here? <laughs> you know, in my little kid voice, of course. Okay. But, yeah. uh, um, <laughs> I'm trying to picture you as a little kid. Like how little was little? Like how old were you at this time? Dude, I was, uh, I was like eight or nine. Okay. All right. I think. All right. But I can picture that. Yeah. So I'll, I look up there and he's like, yeah, it's not good, you know. And then, um, you know, I just walk away for a couple seconds. And the next thing you know, just instant, you know, water just coming down. You know, I should have wore swim trunks or something, but uh, it was it was just coming down hard. And then I looked at all the other kids on the team, you know, and they piled into the coach's truck and me for some reason. I didn't do that, and I looked up, and I could see a funnel forming near the cornfield, like right like right almost above me, and uh, thankfully, it broke. Um, it, didn't, it didn't form all the way, but, you know, I, for some reason, I ran out to the gate, and I had the baseball in my hand, and I sat it down, and my mom came to my rescue, <laughs> she just came over the hill like she knew I, I needed uh, her help, and 
Um, so I hopped in the car and we got back and, you know, you know, I, and then I go through this story like a couple years later in my head. And I'm like, oh, no, what happened to that baseball? You know, I said, <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but you know, it was such interesting. what state was that in? It's in northern Illinois. Northern Illinois. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's uh, part of the tornado alley. I have an article here somewhere that talks about all the counties that have the most tornadic activity every year. And northern Illinois has a county that I believe fits that bill. So, yeah, yeah, I'm born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, and we're also in the tornado alley. And every summer we would have tornado watches and tornado warnings. We never went a summer without that. Um, And sometimes, you know, they were really close to home and sometimes you know they went way around us but you always had to prepare for the worst and we had tornadoes go right through the neighborhoods where family and friends lived and destroy homes my high school principal they went to their basement which is what you do when you have a tornado and they closed the door and they kind of hunkered down in the basement and then they heard a lot of noise and then a little while later they went up to check and see if if maybe one of their windows had broken and when he opened the door most of the house was gone. It had ripped off most of the house. The tornado went right through the suburbs, right by the church, right in, right where his new house was. And uh, God protected them in the basement there. But it was just an unexpected, uncontrollable disaster that, that happened. It's interesting that even um, secular businesses oftentimes call tornadoes an act of God. And it seems like um, anytime it's something negative— uh, the secular world is quick to say it's an act of God, but if it's something positive, you know, it's just good luck. So mm. uh, very interesting. Well, you know what? Let's take a short break, and when we come back, talk a little more about storms, natural disasters, this day in history, what's in my coffee, and more. Stick around. More Live Till 5 after this. back with a little more live till five it's 3 44 p.m on friday the 19th of august if you're listening to the live broadcast you might be catching us on the rebound saturday somewhere between noon and 2 p.m or maybe you're listening on sunday night on your way home from church 7 to 9 p.m we rebroadcast the show in its entirety noon to 2 saturday 7 to 9 p.m sunday catch us on the rebound or listen to the podcast khmg.org forward slash LTF for Live Till 5. You can find all the podcasts of the recent episodes there. You can listen online in real time using an app such as the TuneIn app, which we have a link to on our khmg.org site. Click on the uh, TuneIn app, and uh, you can also download that through your app store on your phone or tablet. And uh, it's a great way to tune in. The nice thing about one of those apps is you can listen anywhere that you have uh, internet service. But also you can pause it for just a moment if you ever miss part of the show. 
because oftentimes you have to step away from the radio or something, but you don't want to miss it. So it gives you a little bit of a buffer there. So uh, it's, a, it's a great way to tune in. So glad that you are with us today and uh, glad to have in studio Lawrence Nagengas, uh, Commander-in-Chief of Har- <laughs> Harvest Christian Academy High School. And uh, how has the first full week of school gone for you? I think okay. We just uh, wrap wrapping up uh, drop ad right now, so uh, that's why I was a little late talking to some students, and then trying to wrap up uh, things like class rank and get that situated for the new year. And uh, and uh, behavior wise, kids are doing a good job. I'm excited for the new year. Uh, sports are starting up, so I saw. Oh, I just okay. got a note from uh, Mrs. DeHesa. I think we just broke the one thousand mark. I think we, we did. have one thousand and one. Yeah, one thousand and one Dalmatians. See, that's great. So yeah, I'm looking forward to a real good, uh, real good year with the kids, and uh, they seem, uh, they seem also excited to be uh, back in the swing of things. Uh, fast summer, but yeah, already yeah. seven days down here. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy that we are already basically looking ahead at fall activities. Exactly. It just it just keeps the train just keeps rolling. Yeah, there's no stopping that. That's my favorite season. What? Fall. Yeah, fall. you're not going to have much of yeah, one. I, I, um, yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to have to get some of those artificial uh, autumn leaves. That was one of the hardest things for me was when I got to October and every day I woke up and it was still a uh, a balmy 78. Yes, and at I was least. Like, yes. There is not a single bit of frost out there. Nope. Football's being played in the cold and I'm sitting here watching it in the yep. heat. Yep. I, I, it really took me about two weeks to get over that. Yeah, we get out there and play, but it's uh, it's nothing like playing in the cold. <laughs> we do. We're sweating on Thanksgiving oh, Day boy. outside. Oh, that, boy. It's not you get dehydrated Thanksgiving morning, and uh, yeah, yeah, and you're you're sunburned all day. Exactly. And you guys tell me that we're gonna, not going to have any snow during winter. We are not going to have any snow during winter. <laughs> I'm sorry. So you can go into the deep freeze in the Harvest Christian Academy cooler. Oh, no, you can't. You don't have your health certificate. You're basically stuck. <laughs> I will yeah. get my health certificate. You, 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 you can go into multiple refrigerators down at the Mo McDonald's and just stand in front of them. Yeah. That's about See if your roommate's you willing to pay a high power bill and uh, just <laughs> crank your aircon yeah. way down. Yeah. I don't That's think my it. roommate will. <laughs> so, uh, Lawrence, it is the 19th of August. Uh, we know that uh, on the 24th of August, we already talked about Mount Vesuvius blew up mm. uh had an eruption in 79 ad mm-hmm. that's next week what happened on august 19th in history well we'll start off with uh some 43 bc history even uh wow christ mm, 43 B- yeah i was gonna say it's got to be one of the yeah, roman it's, emperors it's a roman or something thing if, if it's in the early bcs uh, octavian later known as augustus compels the roman senate to elect him consul it was a bit of an iffy consul at the t- uh, not I'm sorry not consul senate at the time they had just uh, murdered their previous leader and and it was a little bit ugly uh, in 44 BC Ides of March mm-hmm. uh, so when he comes in to be to be consul it was a bit I, I wouldn't say with fear and trembling but it was a bit of a different atmosphere there in Rome to be sure but uh, he ended up actually being one of their their greatest emperors ruled until 27 AD when he died. Uh, ruled through the time of Christ. Of course, he was in Rome. Christ was in um, uh, Jerusalem and, and over in Israel area. So there, I don't think their paths ever crossed, but he was definitely in charge when when Christ was, was mm. on the earth. And um, so, as far as we know, pretty good ruler. Did a lot of good things. 1791, Benjamin Banneker sends a copy of his almanac 
and writes a letter to Thomas Jefferson criticizing his pro-slavery stance and requesting justice for African-Americans using a language from the Declaration of Independence. So uh, you can see there, pro-slavery, that was still already becoming an issue, and that's 80 years, 70 years before the the uh, Civil War ever even happened. Um, but That makes sense nice. why this week is, uh, oh, there's a holiday this week, or a Memorial Day for um, the Remembrance on the 23rd, Day of Remembrance of the Slave Trade and its Abolition is uh, August 23rd is the remembrance of that day, slave trade and its abolition. Yeah, so you go four days later. 19, or 1821, excuse me, failed liberal coup against French King Louis XVIII. This is the first Louis set up after Napoleon and all of that uh, happened in the uh, late 17, early 1800s. But uh, this was part of the whole revolt time period at that time. And then there's another wave, because we teach about in history waves of revolt. There's another one in the 1840s. So, uh, poor You said Louis, this one was unsuccessful? Unsuccessful. Or? Okay. Unsuccessful. So they didn't get his head on that one. They didn't. They didn't. But uh, one of the stats I bring up, in fact, I've probably set it up here, is that they were using the guillotine as a form of punishment, very rare, since or, or even after the first Star Wars movie came out in the 1980s. Wow. That was still a form of, of punishment being used in what? France. Wow. Um, just to put it in perspective how long that hung around. Um, it's actually a very humane, I mean, because it it's so sudden. As far I mean, as they know, instant. you don't feel yeah. a lot of yeah, pain. Nobody yeah. really can live I mean, to testify. Or, uh, but 1839, details of Louis Daguerre's first practical photographic process and released in Paris. So, again, t- today photography is at a, a level no one even would have imagined 20 years ago. Yep. Uh, disposable cameras. My grandma probably still yep. has a, a good stockpile in the basement. A lot of people but. have phones that have cameras, and they never use the phone. They just use the camera on it. That's yeah. what they look for is how good is the camera. It, yeah, literally. It's um, it's come a long way. Yeah. 1905, Russian Tsar Nicholas II, the last Russian Tsar, installs the Imperial Duma without legislative powers. Uh, again, we've brought him up before. In fact, months ago, I talked about sort of his mistakes later at the end of his rule that kind of brought his downfall and would would sort of taint the name Tsar as far as bringing any more into Russian rule. I saw a meme uh, yesterday on social media. It was a picture of the Russian Tsar, uh, Nicholas, and his wife, Catherine, and then uh, kind of the court, and they were doing some type of waltz. And the meme said... This week on Dancing with the Czars, yes, I saw that. Nicholas and Catherine did great, but Ivan was terrible. It was terrible. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty, uh, pretty clever. Clever. <laughs> I'm reading this simply because the name would uh, intrigue uh, one of our hosts we have up here. 1918, Irvin Berlin's musical Yip Yip Yak Yap Hank prepares in New York City. Yap Hank. Okay. You ever heard that before? No. Yip Yip Yap Hank? No. Me neither. I don't even know that's how you say it. Irving Berlin made some uh, iconic music. Yeah. But, White uh, Christmas. And I'm just not sure Holiday Yip Yip, Yip Yap Hank was uh, Yip Yip Yap Hank. List. I have to look that up during the break. <laughs> Get that on my running uh, playlist for yes, my Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to look that up as well. Yeah. Maybe it'll be the intro music one of these days. Could yep, go a long yep, way. Yeah, bank. <laughs> 1961, U.S. Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson visits West Berlin. Uh, again, they were still divided at that point. Um, 1980, George Brett ends a hitting streak at 30, which is uh, City Royals. pretty big uh, streak there, 30, 
30 hits. 1984 Republican Convention in Houston nominates Ronald Reagan for president. And then uh, last couple things here. Um, speaking of Russian leadership, uh, Yanahev and KGB coup in Russian dep- deposes Mikhail Gorbachev. Uh, that was in 1991, I believe. Around the same time, will become the the fall of the USSR happens uh, at some point in here. And then um, last few things: uh, U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Um, I'm sorry, not that one. The 24-hour ceasefire extension renewal between Israel and Palestine is violated as a Hamas fire rockets Israeli Air Force respond, killing nine Gazans. Um, also, the year before that, 91 people are killed by floods across China. Um, but there, for whatever reason, this, this site that I use when I get to the end of it, like recent history, like in the last year or two, um, everything becomes like tragic. Yeah. Um, they, no they, good news. They don't not every now and then I'll be, Oh, that's neat. That happened a year yeah. ago. But most of the things like everything that I have from 2012 to this past year are not necessarily all, uh, um, killing, but it's a flood. It's right. a train crash. Right. It's. It's no. not anyone curing polio-like no. diseases or anything like that. No. Or writing great musicals like Yip, 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 Yip Hank. Hank. Yeah. <laughs> Irving Berlin wrote that while he was a recruit during World War One, And the song from White Christmas where they sing, Oh, How I Hate to Get Up in the Morning, mm-hmm. The Army Has the Only yeah. Life for Me, whatever. Yeah, gee, I wish I was back in the Army. That is from that, I believe. It's that same oh, tune, really? I believe. I think it's the same tune. Oh. From what I can see to, in my very quick research. Gather, yep, yep, gather yep, the pink. research yep. for that. Well, that that's pretty much it. That's great. That's pretty much it. That's great. Well, you know, you're in luck today because we are, after the top of the hour, we are going to roll out a new season of What's in My Coffee. And it's going to be good because uh, I explained the inner workings, the intricacies, the subtle nuances of how this is supposed to work. To our new barista, Megan, down there. Yes. And so I'm expecting some great stuff today. I'm excited for it. You know, I don't I'm know. definitely stick around. Were you were you here when um, uh, two of our former coffee shop workers that have been gone for a while just mixed a bunch of different yes. coffees together? Yes. Oh, that was disgusting. Yeah, you <laughs> usually got that one, and I was yeah. over here with like... Something it was like standard. the mystery cup. Yeah, it was like, yeah. uh, it, and and then well, they, they were trying to sell it, it down fruit there. Breezes, yeah, or fruit splashes, breezes. right? That too. Yeah, they oh. did. They did like all these like marshmallow, lemon, pink, uh, yes. pink coconut. Yes, and that oh. was just no good. That was disgusting. I mean, maybe we, we could do that to Sebastian since he's the yeah. new guy. Yeah. You know, you never even earn know. your stripes a little bit. But uh, I earned a couple stripes last time. Yeah, you, colorful. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, you know, during the next few minutes during the news break, Sebastian, you got to expand your vocabulary. So it's got to be more than hot and liquid. It's got to be something like descriptive so that our audience wants to purchase these drinks. And so uh, we have like two or three minutes to kill here. Lawrence, uh, when you were growing up in Michigan, do you guys have any tornadoes or tornadic activity at all up way up where you guys were at? Yeah, we there used to be more back before I was uh – my my dad grew up with a lot of them in Flint, actually. Mm-hmm. But the one I remember most never was one that touched down near us, but there was one in the area with strong enough winds to pick up our trampoline and blow it oh, probably yeah. about a good acre across wow. the road and into the forest that was across the road from us. And so we, we spent a month picking up springs oh. from here to there. Oh, <laughs> And uh, that, that, that ended up being fun. When you're 12, it's okay. 
That would yeah. not be something I'd want to go back to do. Wow. Wow. Do. Well, we had we had a lot of that in Missouri as well. So all the different uh, tornado sirens going off, tornado drills in school. Um, did you guys in Michigan, in your little Christian school, did you have to do um, tornado drills? Uh, we didn't. We did more fire uh, than anything, which is pretty standard yeah, at yeah. every school. But um, most of the stuff we did was fire. We had um, maybe a rare non-fire drill every mm-hmm. now and then, but mm-hmm. it wasn't consistent. Yeah, we had tornado drills. Had to climb under our desk. We did it beginning and end of the school year because that's about the time we'd have the yeah. storm season. And uh, the thing, the way you knew there was a potential tornado coming into your county, which people here in Guam might not have ever experienced, was a little tornado would appear in the bottom corner of your TV screen. Mm. We got that. Like watching the baseball game That's or whatever, and you'd me. see a little. And then you get the little news thing scrolling across. We get those for typhoons and stuff. We here, get those for snow back where I was from. Yeah. Well, um, hopefully we'll never have to deal with a tornado on Guam. We do yeah. deal with other storms and natural disasters, which happens to be our topic today, a cheery topic for this weekend. Mm. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break. And when we come back after the news, what's in my coffee and uh, Stranger Than Fiction, and the news, and our topic with natural disasters. This is Live Till 5 here on 88.1 FM, KHMG, Harvest Family Radio, Barragata Guam. I'm your host, Jared Baldwin, with Lawrence Nagengast, and Sebastian Basildua, and Chris Harper, all here for you for another hour after the news. Stick around for SRN News. With a little more live till five. The name of that bumper song is called Kung Fu Homeschooler. We used to have a homeschooler that worked up here, and I think that resonated with him. Because what homeschooler doesn't want to be a Kung Fu master? What, what, which resonated the Kung Fu or the homeschooler part? Uh, well, he was a homeschooler and who liked Kung Fu, and he played the violin. Wow. So yeah. that was Jay an all around. That was an all around Jay Babin song. Yeah, so Kung Fu Homeschooler <laughs> is a perfect fit for him. Now, that's not the only bumper song we wanted to play because we, we have uh, other options. As a matter of fact, we talked about uh, Irving Berlin's Yip Yip Yap Hank. We found out it's named after Yap Hank, New York. What's that song like there, uh, Lawrence? Or, or the play? The play. It's dirty work to be done in the army, and it's not much fun. I think this song is called Oh How it's I Hate to Get Up in the Morning. Irving Berlin wrote this. While in the army during World War One as a recruit, the boys who work with the cooks in the kitchen been there. Yeah. Okay. That was one of his less popular uh, numbers. I'm glad we just had a sample. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have the whole song. (laughs) Oh no, it's a three and a half minute song. I could have gone on. uh, I don't know. And back then, that the. The singing style is very nasally, but, uh, you know, we had to decide last week on a new song for our uh, What's in My Coffee, because I lost my old song, and I have no idea what it was called. 
uh, we renamed it for our own little playlist, but it did that wasn't the actual name. And so yeah. when we reloaded, I know generally it was like this lilty little guitar number. So now we had to come up with something a little more. It's in there somewhere. Yeah. It's in that playlist somewhere. It is. It is. So instead, this is what we have to do. This segment is brought to us by The Hub, Hebrews Worldwide Coffee Shop and Bookstore. The most peaceful little coffee shop on Guam. The best coffee shop in the Shire. (laughs) All of Middle Earth goes there for their coffee drinks. With an endless variety of coffees, teas, baked goods, Christian music, books, including the largest selection of Yankee candles in all of Middle Earth. I like it a lot. I go there every day. Not Middle Earth, but the hub. And we're all drinking delectable delights from the hub. We're like the Fellowship of the Coffee. The Fellowship of the Coffee. The Fellowship of the Coffee. Actually, if you look at the table after we leave, it's the Fellowship of the Coffee Rings. That's right. (laughs) See, that's ah, true. Clever, clever. Uh, um, it's okay, better. So I'll I'll kick off this uh, descriptive time uh, with trying to describe this hot coffee drink I'm drinking here. Hold on, just one second. I want to make sure the listeners can can hear my joy. This is a um, um, it's a it's a sweet drink. It's hot. It's creamy. If I pop the lid on this and try not to spill, ooh, yes, it's the color of my trousers. It is uh, a little bit sweet, no whipped cream on top, and I think it could be it could be a hot chai, but I'm just not sure. Um, it has a, a hint of chocolate to it, but I can't tell if it's white chocolate or dark chocolate. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a a hot chai, a hot vanilla chai is what I'm gonna go with, and we'll, or now hot chocolate chai. I don't know if there is such a thing. Anyway, Chris. Yours looks interesting. This is a yellow drink. Looks can be deceiving. It's actually clear towards the top. If it, you look at it, it's kind of separated. Yeah, it 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 tastes a little like vanilla or something okay, okay. of that nature. Mm-hmm. It's 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 bordering on like a cream soda type mm. taste. Yes, yes. Um, and I can't relate it to anything that I've seen in the Lord of the Rings. It, it's carbonated, but um, icy carbonated. Some kind of fruit splash, probably. It's a fruit splash, uh, but definitely. it doesn't necessarily have to have fruit drink. just because it's a fruit splash. No, and and I don't know what the fruit would be yeah. unless it were yeah. ginger root or something. Yeah. I don't know. I, okay, I don't think so that's it's it. some kind of vanilla no something idea. mango splash or a fruit splash. It's a fruit splash, but it definitely has a sort. yellow tint to it. Definitely might a have been tint. added for effect, so you're not you know to throw you off, you messing me up. Yeah. All right, now <laughs> uh, Sebastian. Yes. Uh, you have an ice drink there. It looks like a some type of iced coffee drink, and it's, it's almost gone. It's almost gone okay, so uh, what 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 is it? What does it taste like? Give us some descriptive okay. terms here. This drink, when I drink it, it reassures me with the luscious hazel feel and a slight blend uh, uh, of. Caramel. Did you say luscious hazel feel? It's and a, a luscious, slight blend of caramel. And a slight <laughs> blend of caramel. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I actually would drink one of those. I don't know if that was, you just described a, a Persian kitten or a drink, but yeah. it sounds good. Okay. Now, Lawrence, yours. You lost me at hot, luscious. Hot drink. <laughs> yeah. To be a frank. hazel feel. Yeah. Okay. Does yours have a hazel feel there, Lawrence? Um, 
No, my, is, mine, mine. I popped the cap, and and it, and it came with a little bit of a meringue yeah, on the froth. bottom side of the yeah, froth. sticky frothy froth. meringue. So I'm not yeah. gonna eat that. But in my cup, I think I think it's a chai with mm-hmm. coffee in it. Okay, okay. And uh, what does that people, make it? Some people will call this an untidy chai. An untidy chai. You are yeah. what you drink. <laughs> you are what un- you drink. Un- untidy Larry. <laughs> untidy Larry. So that's me today. <laughs> All right, let's see what we actually have. Drink number one, which is uh, Sebastian. Sebastian, is a creamy vanilla bean. Yeah. Talk close. about you are what you drink. That is really close. Um, <laughs> <laughs> drink number two, Chris, has a uh, mango pineapple fruit splash. Wow, that's pretty loaded And there. I even Freudian pineapple. slip said mango, although I didn't even know it was mango. mango but the color, mango pineapple. It's kind wow. of a citrusy uh, tropical paradise in a cup. Hmm. Number three, that's mine, a white mocha. I should have stuck. No, because I said chai. Anyway. And then yours is a coconut chai with espresso. I like Megan Peterson. She has the heart of a a game master. Thank you very much, Megan, for creating some unique drinks. This, I mean, creativity. It's good stuff. Yeah. No one's ever made a coconut chai with espresso. I didn't, I didn't get the coconut, but no, the untidy an, chai was that's perfect. That's an untidy chai with coconut, which it's is a, a nice little drink. twist on it. I'm telling you, Friday afternoon, you need one. Wow. That is a that Too is bad great. it's been closed for 10 minutes. Yeah. So, uh, well, they, you know, we're just trying to wet their yeah, appetite Monday for morning. Monday, uh, Monday morning. Monday morning. Monday morning, go in and order one of these fine drinks at the Hub and ask for Megan. Just say, Megan, I want what Lawrence had. An untidy chai with coconut. There so. you go. Nailed All right, it. Lawrence. Well, you can take that home and share half of it with your wife and have a great weekend. So, And listeners, you can go by the Hub. They're open from 7.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday and after Sunday services uh, here at Harvest. And the Hub is the Harvest Uniform Bookstore and Hebrews Coffee Shop. And uh, they really do serve some great stuff there. Anything you like from your traditional coffee shop, they have. Plus, they have some great baked goods from Parisco Bakery. They've got oh, just about everything, muffins. And it's, it's just a nice little place to hang out, plus free Wi-Fi. So, Chris, have you got some news for us today? Yeah, I'm going to actually start off with some weather because uh, we were earlier in the week getting some um, some notes from Homeland Security about a storm that was passing north of us, even above Saipan. And so people uh, were interested in the weather earlier in the week. We just have a couple of things going on, a high surf advisory that's in effect until 6 p.m. tomorrow. And then we're going to have fresh to strong southwest winds expected through tomorrow as well. Combined seas of 9 to 11 feet. And then they're going to diminish tonight 8 to 10 feet. Hazardous surf and a high risk of rip currents, though, are going to persist into tomorrow. There's going to be a moderate risk of lightning through the weekend. There's also a high surf advisory in effect until tomorrow evening on south-facing and west-facing reefs. And uh, also it says here that uh, there's going to be pounding surf. Dangerous rip currents stay out of the water. So that's what it looks like as far as weather. There's a lot of weather items in the national slash international news a portion of a major highway connecting los angeles and las vegas has been reopened as a wildfire that forced the evacuation of some eighty thousand southern california residents continued to rage virtually unchecked there this is being reported by reuters the so-called blue cut fire erupted on tuesday in the mountainous cajon pass 
northeast of Los Angeles, and by late Wednesday night had exploded to cover 25.6 thousand acres, while firefighters had managed to carve contaminant lines around only 4% of the blaze, state transit officials were saying that northbound lanes of Interstate 15 were going to reopen in the area, and then fire officials expressed concern that red flag weather conditions would keep the area dry and hot. After a tour of flood-ravaged southern Louisiana, which we mentioned earlier in the show, the nation's Homeland Security Secretary is pledging that the federal government will be here as long as it takes to help this community recover. In a news conference on Thursday back in the States, the governor, uh, John Bell Edwards, and other officials, including Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson said that he expects to brief the president soon on the disaster. He said more than 900 federal emergency management agency personnel were on the ground in Louisiana and that hundreds more were expected to arrive. He and the governor urged those affected by flooding to apply for government assistance. Uh, They said that 40,000 homes were affected by the flooding. These are numbers you might have mentioned earlier. In fact, I think I heard you say 30,000 people been rescued as well. 13 people have died in this. So sad. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of weather stories. There was more weather stories than just that. Yeah. I saw the footage last night on CNN um, where the there are fire tornadoes being created. The heat is so intense and it's so windy there uh, between Las Vegas and L.A. that people were driving down the highway and you could see these little um, uh, uh, swirls of fire that were little mini fire tornadoes on right. the sides of the highway. Yeah, I've observed those because in Alaska, um, most of the fires go unfought because of the, the vast amounts of wilderness. Um, and so if you fly over those um, fire-affected areas, you'll see those, you'll see those kind of spinning. There's, it's, it's almost like fire shooting up out of the right, yeah. out of the middle right, of right. the rest of the fire that has to do with the way the convection the, or the something convection. right yeah. Yeah. yeah so so yeah i'm, I'm a little bit uh, yeah. familiar with that did you guys have because you know for being a chichaco or whatever from the south i think about um yeah. alaska not having that many fires because it's so wet most uh, of them are, no it's well it is very wet there are over three million lakes uh, Three million lakes over one acre in size wow. in Alaska. Wow. Um, but during the summer, it gets very hot and dry. People don't think it gets hot in Alaska, but I've seen it 95. And sometimes the whole summer can be pretty hot and dry. Wow. Um, and you're you're talking in Alaska. Sometimes we're dealing in, in states like California, you're dealing in thousands of acres. On occasions in Alaska, by the end of the summer, you're dealing in millions of acres. Wow! Because of the vast wilderness wow. that you have, so yeah, serious fires. And then pretty much every year for our last three or four years in Alaska, um, every year in the summer, it's pretty severe smoke, hmm. like a lot of health warnings because yeah. of smoke blowing in from other fires. Wow! So yeah. We're pretty used to that. I have a, a story, uh, two stories, really, that uh, are somewhat connected uh, regarding North Korea, and one of them impacts Guam directly. But the defection of a North Korean senior diplomat in London is posing some major problems for Pyongyang on a number of fronts, not the least of which is how they are going to 
publicly respond to this defection. As of Thursday, Pyongyang hadn't yet made a public statement about the defection, but when or if they do, that response will probably be ferocious and accusatory. It's kind of typical of Mm -hmm. uh, the leadership there. Seoul's unification ministry announced Wednesday that Thay Young Ho, minister of the North Korean embassy in London, has arrived in South Korea with his family and is under the protection of the South Korean government. Uh, Tai was the second highest official in North Korea's embassy and is the most senior North Korean diplomat to defect to the South. Seoul, which doesn't always divulge defections, uh, was quick to seize on this one as evidence of the growing dissent within North uh, the North's ruling elite. Uh, its unification ministry claimed that Tai defected because of uh, his disgust with Kim Jong-un and his regime, and they're worrying that uh, uh, he's worried about the future of his children. A spokesman for the ministry further said that the defection is a sign of weakening unity within the North's ruling class. Now, I bring this story up because of other stories that are rumbling uh, regarding some military buildup here on Guam. Hmm. So Pyongyang is also upset at this point and warning that U.S. military bases in the Pacific will face, quote, ruin if Washington, quote, goes reckless. Not sure what that means, but but uh, they're definitely issuing threats toward Guam. Uh, it's due to the recent deployment of U.S. strategic bombers at Anderson Air Force Base The North Korean foreign ministry is claiming the bombers are part of a U.S. plan for a preemptive nuclear strike. That's from Pyongyang. The Guam Office of Homeland Security and Civil Defense is, of course, monitoring these threats. One other development in this is that the U.S. military has deployed the anti-missile defense system here, the Terminal High Altitude Area Defense System, which... THAAD. Right, which followed North Korean intermediate ballistic missile tests. So we're saying it's the other way around. Right. Because of what North Korea is yep. saying, that's why the buildup is happening. But sure. definitely a lot of turmoil happening there. That's yeah. not that's not the least of the stories on North Korea that were that Well, were and it was a rare today. thing this week to see all three types of bombers in the air together flying over Guam. That is very unusual. Now, I'm right. not saying that North Korea is right on that. It's definitely some kind of show of force. It's expensive to bring bombers out here. Who knows what the mission is, but uh, to have them here is a big deal. Stealth bomber, you, you, I've seen the stealth bomber flying over this week. It's a majestic thing to see. And then to see the B-2 and the B-52 all together at the same time, uh, I think it's pretty awesome. The I'm B- glad this yeah. is my country. Right. The B-52 brings me back to uh, where I grew up in Spokane, Washington, because there we have B-52s at uh, – Fairchild, Fairchild Air, Force, yep. Air Force Base. Yep. And so whenever I see that, I kind of go, oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But a uh, lot of a uh, lot of tumultuous things taking place in North Korea right at the moment. We were even we even caught some of the Olympic Games here. And we sort of first joked about the athletes that weren't doing well from North Korea and what they could expect when they got back home. Right. And then I said, right. that's not a joke. That's sad. That's because that, they're yeah. going to be. Yeah. Big trouble. Big trouble. That's how it works in, in regimes of that I think nature. Kim Jong-un, um, in his own autobiography, claims that he won gold medals in the Olympics. Um, 
so his people, the people of North Korea, have been told and supposedly believe right. that he is a gold medal athlete himself. Ha! Huh. All you got to do is look at him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to. I mean, I mean if, it, you, if you buy that, right, maybe you buy a right. lot of things. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sad. And, uh, yeah. So, well, I'm glad that we are on this side of the border. And uh, these disaster things, we're going to talk a little more about disasters here in a moment. But what would you say, Chris, before you head out, uh, was one of the biggest disasters or natural cataclysmic things that you experienced when you were in Alaska? Um, I think, I think we had a, a period of, uh, three weeks straight where it was 50 below or lower as the high. Oh, that hurts. 50 below zero or lower The the, it's not, it's not dangerous from the standpoint of, it's not like you're going to freeze to death in your house. A lot of people heat with wood and things like that, but, but it, things start, if you do any driving at all, any of any distance, things start falling off your vehicle Mm-hmm. Things start breaking. Yeah. Um, and it's just things get um, – one of the, th- the ways you can describe it is if you if you shut your car door, it sort of sounds like you're getting into a tin can. Mm. You know, it just has that sound of like right. tink. Right. And you feel – everything feels brittle. Yeah. And at that cold, just there's nothing that can really withstand it. Right, right. But, you know, you still go to work. I remember my last year there uh, hopping in the car at 55 below zero – and heading to work. Yep. And when Deborah and I got married there, it was 37 below zero. And, you know, you're headed wow, out on, on your honeymoon at 50, uh, you know, at almost 40 below zero. And yeah. And when you go down the highway, the wind chill, you know, now you're putting your right. your vehicles 100 below with uh, with wind whipping by at 50 right. miles an hour. So did you have to keep uh, survival stuff in your vehicle just in case you were on the yeah. side of the road or something like that? Yeah. I always had like a, a large camo bag Mm-hmm. That had um, Carhartts. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know what Carhartts oh, yeah. are. Yeah, like overalls. Carhartts, yep. overalls, bunny boots. Yep. You know what yep. bunny boots oh, yeah. are? Oh, yeah. The, 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 yeah, you're Air Force guy, right? Yeah. So, yep. so um, the bunny boots you'd have, which is a mainstay in Alaska. Right, and then right. You'd have, They're too hot for anywhere else. Yeah. Because uh, I had them in New Hampshire. And yep. I couldn't hardly wear them. It would be, I'd get all sweaty wearing those things. But yeah. I can imagine 50 below. Yep. I mean, without them. You would have big problems. Yeah, and then you keep a lot. Of, you keep a, a large knife. Uh, you know, several. You know, different. Uh, I would always keep those uh, hand warmer, mm-hmm. foot warmers. Yep. yep, a lot of stuff like that. And I had a variety snacks, of snacks, light uh, flashlights, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, you had lights, and and I had a you know one of those sort of all purpose tools for the yes. side of the road. Right, that right, right. So yeah, and we carried that everywhere in the winter. Yeah, and of course, because you are dealing with. You're dealing with pretty right. life and death situations because we, for a period of time, we lived 60 miles out of town. Whoa! So driving that that far and there's no cell coverage during those between Ninana and Fairbanks where we live. So, yeah. So from time to time, there can be life threatening situations. Right. Although the rule in Alaska is if you see somebody break down, you stop. I mean, right. That's just right. all there is to it. You're, you know, you're dealing with life and death. Right. So. Right. So yeah. yeah did you have kids while you were in Alaska? Yes. So yeah. it gets a little more serious, right? When I remember living in northern Wisconsin for and in the winter time we'd go 30 miles away to church and it does get a little more sober when you're out on the road 
during the snowstorm, you know, you you definitely think more in preparedness than you would if you're just by yourself, you know. Um, right. Because you you don't want to put yourself or your family in a dangerous situation. We we lived uh, thir- only 13 miles out of town when uh, Sarah was born. And Sarah um, and we broke down on the way home. And it was really cold. I don't remember if it was 30, 40 below zero. But we broke down and had to have a... A friend of ours come pick us up. Thankfully, there's their cell service mm-hmm. all the way out there. But uh, but yeah, so we have broken down with the kids. But you also take blankets. I always had blankets in there, right, so you always right. have the blankets. And, yeah, and uh, so so yeah. Other than that, other we had some close fires as well. Mm. But pretty much it's the cold weather, and if you have it for a long period of time, all kinds of things happen. Pipes start bursting. Right. right yeah. The other thing that happens is inside your house. Even if you have, like, if you have a, a boiler mm-hmm. with water flowing through, mm-hmm. if you don't have glycol in there, which mm-hmm. stops it from freezing, right? Uh, your your boiler pipes, even while running hot water through them, if you have any kind of air coming into the house, it they will still freeze up because it'll like super freeze just that one area, it'll right? Super freeze yeah, one I've area. heard of that. And then you have to run electricity through the pipes. Yes, right. I've heard of that. I've heard in of order that. to... They can put like electric eliminate. tape on the pipe, right? Yeah, I've heard of that. Well, Ugh. you can even get one of those, uh, like a machine with a battery that you hook up and you zap, you know, electricity oh, through the pipes to get... So we have, we've experienced that. That was uh, on a long cold snap. We've wow. experienced that at our wow. house. Wow. So, yeah. That's why the uh, Discovery Channel used to have a show called Tougher in Alaska because everything... In Alaska, I mean, you have fire, heat, and you have freezing 50 yeah. below or more. And it's why when they're describing, they're saying, oh, I was wishing for the cold weather. I'm thinking, I wasn't. I, when I, <laughs> when it was Christmas and it was beautiful oh here, I was like, hey, this is great. What's wrong with this? I, oh I wasn't having any problems. Nice or oh, cold man. weather, okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, that. You know, we're going to go back at Christmas this year. And so we, I really don't like the cold, but I can tolerate it, so... Anyway, hey, well, thanks for the news, Chris. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks, Sebastian, for uh, giving us some storm stories, not tragedies, but, you know, disaster stories, I guess. And uh, thank you, listeners, for the first hour and a half of Live Till 5. We still have 30 minutes to go. I have our topic of the day, storms and disasters, volcanoes, flooding, and other bizarre and weird disasters. Got more of that in our Stranger Than Fiction section of Live Till 5 after this short break. With a little more live till five, it's four thirty-one p.m. Friday, August nineteenth. Here on live till five, broadcasting high atop the campus of Harvest Ministries from the worldwide headquarters of KHMG Harvest Family Radio, flagship station eighty-eight point one FM. Here in Barracuda, Guam. Glad that you're with us for this one hundred seventy-ninth episode. If you ever miss part of the show, you can tune in on Saturdays noon to two or Sunday nights seven to nine p.m. Catch us on the rebound. Listen to our podcast on SoundCloud. You can just go to SoundCloud and search for Harvest Family Radio, or you can go to khmg.org 
forward slash LTF for live till 5. There's a link there for SoundCloud. There's a link there for TuneIn. And there's a little link there, a little button you can click on just says archive. Many different ways to catch it. You can also let us know what you're thinking. KHMG at HBCGuam.net. KHMG at HBCGuam.net. Email us. Or just send us a message. Hopefully it's positive or it's constructive. Harvest Family Radio on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Every time someone clicks on the Harvest Family Radio Facebook page, we see a new, unique view. And we really are encouraged by that. So take some time. you got one minute right now, find Harvest Family Radio on Facebook. Like us and leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Maybe you have some uh, topic ideas for the show. Maybe you have some comments. Maybe you'd like to chime in. We'd love to hear from you today. You know, you can always stop by and see Harvest Family Radio. We're not a huge operation, but the people that are here have giant hearts. Yes, you can come by between 8 and 4, Monday through Friday. Just come by the radio station here. We're on the third floor located directly above the hub here at the Harvest Campus. There's a little elevator or stairwell right behind the hub. Come up to the third floor, and you'll you'll meet Chris, and you'll meet Sebastian, and everyone else that works up here in this area. And uh, you can see our operation. We have some open houses throughout the year and things like that. And uh, hope that you can become one of our partners. You know, Harvest Family Radio is entirely subsidized, with a few exceptions, by Harvest Christian Academy and Harvest Baptist Church. We do have a few sponsors whom we're very grateful for. The Beanery, Triple J, and we're picking up some new sponsors as we go into this new uh, fall season. If you'd like to sponsor us, you can always email us, khmg at hbcguam.net, or send us a Facebook message, or just find myself or Chris if you're a friend of the ministry, and let us know you'd like to sponsor the program. We take financial donations. We are a nonprofit because we're a part of the church and school ministry here, and you can make a donation to help keep this this show as long as well as other shows uh, running smoothly here on the air. But uh, God has provided for our needs. We're always looking to do more, but uh, we realize that uh, God can take care of our needs here, and so we're we're glad for those that have partnered and will continue to partner. We get random donations from time to time, and uh, we appreciate every single one of them. So, it is kind of disaster day, I guess you could say. We're going to talk a little bit about some natural disasters, and I was thinking about uh, volcanoes originally, because Mount Vesuvius Day is coming up on August 24th, which also happens to be my anniversary, and uh, that's the day my heart just exploded with love, like Mount Vesuvius. Anyway, the 23rd is my son Zachary's birthday. He'll be 17 years old. Happy birthday to him as well. Volcanoes. Where did the term volcano come from? Well, this is according to the U.S. Geological Sur- U.S. Geologic Service. Volcano comes from the little island of Volcano in the Mediterranean Sea off of Sicily. How would you like to live on the island of Volcano? Doesn't sound like fun to me. Centuries ago, the people lived in this area, believed Volcano was the chimney forge of Vulcan, the blacksmith of the Roman gods. They thought that the hot lava fragments and clouds of dust erupted from Volcano came from Volcano's forge as he beat out thunderbolts for Jupiter, king of the gods, and weapons for Mars, the god of war. In Polynesia, the people attributed eruptive activity to the beautiful but wrathful Pele, goddess of volcanoes. 
whenever she was angry or spiteful. Today, we know volcanic eruptions are not supernatural, but can be studied, interpreted by scientists. Also, here's some other interesting information about volcanoes. What are some positive outcomes of volcanoes? I mean, you think about it, they're so disastrous and tragic and destructive. But, you know, uh, over the long term and geologic time, volcanic eruptions and related processes have directly and indirectly benefited mankind. Volcanic materials ultimately break down um, and weather to form some of the most fertile soils on Earth, cultivation of which has produced abundant food and fostered civilizations. People use volcanic products. The internal heat associated with young volcanic systems has been harnessed to produce geothermal energy. And most metallic minerals mined in the world, such as copper, silver, gold, lead, zinc, are associated with magmas found deep within the roots of extinct volcanoes. Also, how much of the Earth is volcanic? Well, 80% of the Earth's surface above and below sea level is of volcanic origin. Gaseous emissions from volcanic vents over the history of Earth have, uh, have helped to form some of the continents and things like that. How many active volcanoes are on the Earth right now? About 1,500 potentially active volcanoes worldwide. Aside from the continuous belt of volcanoes on the ocean floor, about 500 of these have erupted in historical time. Many of these are located along the Pacific Rim, known as the Ring of Fire, which I'll talk about here in a second. Which volcanoes in the uh, Contaraminas United States have erupted since the nation was founded? Well, Mount St. Helens, of course. It erupted in the 1700s, in the 1800s, in the 1900s, and then in the 2000s. It has had a lot of volcanic activity. In the early 1900s, Lassen Peak, California, had a major uh, destructive uh, flow of lava. Mount Hood, Oregon, around 1781, known as the Old Maid, uh, had a period of eruption following a 1,000-year dormant period. So we've had at least three or four volcanoes in the continental United States. What's the difference between magma and lava? Well, magma is the term for molten rock underground, and lava is molten rock that breaks through the Earth's surface. So that's the main difference is magma is below ground. Once it breaks through, it becomes lava. That's the stuff you see glowing orange. What does it take to become a volcanologist or someone that gets to study volcanoes. Well, there are many paths to becoming a volcanologist. Most share a college or graduate school education in a scientific or technical field, but the range of specialties is very large. Training in geology, geophysics, geochemistry, biology, biochemistry, math, statistics, engineering, atmospheric science, remote sensing, and related fields can be applied to the study of volcanoes and the interactions between volcanoes and the environment. The key ingredients are a strong fascination and boundless curiosity about volcanoes and how they work. From there, the possibilities are almost endless. You can actually go on the USGS site and click on that, and it'll give you more information how you can become a volcanologist. How about super volcanoes? You ever hear of a super volcano? Uh, let's see here. They are su- volcanoes that produce exceedingly voluminous vol- uh, pyroclastic eruptions and form large calderas since the Earth was formed, including Yellowstone, Long Valley in eastern California, Toba in Indonesia, Taupo in New Zealand. Other super volcanoes would likely include the large caldera volcanoes of Japan, Indonesia, and Alaska, among others. And the Ring of Fire, as was mentioned earlier. We live in the Ring of Fire. 
And I fell into it. And I went down, down, down. Anyway, volcanoes are not randomly distributed over the Earth's surface. Most are concentrated on the edges of the continents along island chains or beneath the sea, forming long mountain ranges. More than half of the world's active volcanoes above sea level encircle the Pacific Ocean to form the Circumpacific Ring of Fire. And Guam is part of that. How about the most destructive volcanic eruption in the history of the United States? Well, that has to go to the Mount St. Helens 1980 eruption where, uh, let's see here, uh, let's see, it was the most destructive in the history of the United States. Novarupta, uh, or the Katmai volcano in Alaska, erupted considerably more material in 1912, but owing to the desolation, the isolation and sparse population of the region, there were no human deaths and little property damage. I believe that might be the Katmai volcano, might have been the one where it created a giant landslide that hit the Bay of Water, and then the Bay of Water had such a large tsunami that they have they have debris that is hundreds and hundreds of yards uh, feet up the side of the the mountains surrounding the bay. It was one of the tallest tsunamis in history, I believe, created by a landslide that the volcano uh, created in the early 1900s with no human deaths. I believe that's the same one. Yeah. So um, in contrast to Mount St. Helens eruption, in a matter of hours, caused loss of lives and widespread destruction of valuable property, primarily by the debris avalanche, lateral blasts, and mud flows that Mount St. Helens created. The largest active volcano in the world, Mount Aloha. You know those really good chocolate-covered macadamia nuts? Yeah, same name, Mount Aloha, Hawaii, world's largest active volcano projecting 13,677 feet above sea level. That's about, uh, I believe that's about five times taller than Mount Lam Lam, if I'm not mistaken. Um, its top is over 30,000 30, feet above the deep ocean floor. From its base below sea level to the summit, Mount Mauna Loa is taller than Mount Everest. Now, they say that about Mount Lam Lam to the Marianas Trench as well. Will extinct volcanoes, this is from the USGS as well, will extinct volcanoes on the east coast of the U.S. erupt again? According to the USGS, they say no. Through plate tectonics, the eastern U.S. has been isolated from global tectonic features, tectonic plate boundaries, and hot spots on the mantle that cause volcanic activity. So new volcanic activity is not possible now or in the near future. If you wait around several thousand years maybe remnants of past volcanism are found in most areas of the earth even where volcanoes have not erupted since almost the creation of the earth so usgs that's all from them so there have been a lot of disasters in human history some bizarre ones that are weather disasters some weird ones uh we have natural disasters i'd like to talk about and then i'd like to also talk about an early meteorologist, someone maybe you've heard of, John Dalton, a historical figure that uh, very interesting, some of the things that not only in meteorology but in other areas of science that he kind of discovered or named. And so we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about him, natural and bizarre natural disasters, and kind of wrap up the show. It's 4.44 p.m. on Friday afternoon, August 19th. I'm Jared Baldwin, your host. This is our 179th episode of Live Till 5 here on KHMG 88.1 FM, 
Barragata Guam. So glad you're with us. Come back after this short break for the end of the show and uh, finishing up our topic of the day, natural disasters. Stick around. More live till 5 after this. The last few minutes of Live Till 5, 4.48 p.m. If you're listening live on Friday afternoon, August 19th. Maybe you're listening on Saturday afternoon. It's got to be approaching 2 p.m. or Sunday night. Getting close to 9 p.m. Glad you're with us. Talking about natural disasters today. And uh, we were talking about some weather-related disasters and some volcanic disasters. The flooding in Louisiana. Mount Vesuvius Day coming up on the 24th of August. Kind of a random hodgepodge of disasters here, but uh, as I was looking up, famous meteorologists uh, in history, um, there's one scientist who kind of, the name rung a bell just a little bit because of his, some of the things that he discovered. He was a chemist, a scientist, and an early meteorologist, and you don't think of meteorology being a field of study back in the 1700s, but uh, 1766? to 1844 chemist John Dalton credited with pioneering modern atomic theory and also the first to study color blindness this is early early in the study of atomic theory uh, color blindness but also meteorology synopsis from the bio uh, on biographies website here chemist John Dalton born September 6 1766 Eaglesfield England during his early career, he identified the hereditary nature of red-green color blindness. 1803, he revealed the concept of Dalton's law of partial pressures. And also, in the 1800s, he was the first scientist to explain the behavior of atoms and determine the measurement of weight. He died July 26, 1844, in Manchester, England. Born to a Quaker family, and uh, Quakers invent a lot of different things. Dalton's interest, though... When he became a scientist and a meteorologist, interest in atmospheric pressure eventually led him to a closer examination of gases. While studying the nature and chemical makeup of air in the early 1800s, Dalton learned that it was not a chemical solvent, as other scientists had believed. Instead, it was a mechanical system composed of small, individual particles that used pressure applied to each gas independently. His experiment on gases led to his discovery that the total pressure of mixture of gases amounted to the sum of the partial pressure that each individual gas exerted while occupying the same space. And there's a bunch of different ways you can test this out, but basically he was one of the early meteorologists. John Dalton, also a chemist and a scientist, the colorblindness, uh, uh, first one to really work on red-green colorblindness, and then... Um, his legacy, after suffering a stroke, Dalton died 
quietly on the evening of July 26, 1844 at his home in Manchester. He has provided a civic funeral and granted full honors. Reportedly, 40,000 people attended the procession honoring his contribution to science, manufacturing, and the nation's commerce. And this is why he was so famous, not, not so much for the meteorological side, but finding a way to weigh atoms. John Dalton's research not only changed the face of chemistry, but also initiated its progression into modern science. The splitting of the atom in the 20th century could most likely not have been accomplished without Dalton's laying the foundation of knowledge about the atomic makeup of simple and complex molecules. Dalton's discoveries also allowed for the cost-efficient manufacturing of chemical compounds, since they essentially give manufacturers a recipe for determining the correct chemical proportions in a given compound. The majority of conclusions made of Dalton's atomic theory still stand today. John Dalton, chemist, meteorologist, scientist. Here are a few more disasters to talk about in this last few minutes here. Billion-dollar disasters. When I saw this list, I was expecting, you know, one or two Hurricane Katrina-sized disasters. There, I think I have 10 pages of disasters from the last 35 years. Most of them, hurricanes and heat waves and tornadoes. And if you think about it, some of the ones in the 90s, if they were in the billions of dollars back then, how much would it cost right now? 1980, the drought heat wave, June, September, $20 billion and 10,000 deaths in the U.S. in 1980 due to the drought and heat wave. Just in the last year, did you realize there was a drought in the West? Uh, there was a cold wave in Central and Eastern winter storm. There was Midwest Ohio Valley severe weather in April of last year. South Southeast severe weather in April as well. Southern Plains tornadoes May of last year. Texas and Oklahoma flooding and severe weather in May of last year. Central and Northeast severe weather in June of last year. South Carolina and East Coast flooding in October of last year. Western and Alaskan wildfires June through November. That 10.1 million acres, as Chris Harper said earlier, across uh, the U.S., um, let's see here, in 2015, surpassing the 2006 highest annual total U.S. acreage burned. But most of it, the, the largest, 5 million acres burned in Alaska. That is crazy. Texas tornadoes and Midwest flooding as well. All in the year 2015. So many multi-billion dollar disasters. Here are some bizarre natural disasters. When you think of natural disasters, uh, you think of different weather disruptions or volcanic activities. But also, you, you have some others. Like you have in April of 1815, Indonesia's Mount Tambora exploded in one of the most powerful volcanic eruptions known in history killed tens of thousands of people in Southeast Asia, hurled gargantuan ash clouds into the stratosphere. The cloud migrated across the globe, blocked the sun's rays, chilling temperatures by roughly three degrees, and causing weather distortions on an epic scale the following year. In India, Tambora-induced droughts and floods changed the ecology of the Bay of Bengal and helped give rise to a new strain of cholera that killed millions. You wouldn't think that that would be so impacting. The weather disruptions had some unusual side effects. Some have been credited uh, credited the high price of horse feed in Europe, which inspired German inventor Carl Drace to build an early version of the bicycle in Switzerland. Meanwhile, the gloomy weather, constant rain in 1816, forced author Mary Shelley to pass her summer indoors and write 
the famous novel Frankenstein. 1859, the Carrington event, solar flares put so much electrical energy into the atmosphere that it shocked telegraph operators and, and created fires all over America and the beautiful geomagnetic disturbances that came uh, from that also created brilliant colors in the skies, multicolored auroras as far south as Hawaii and in Colorado. Usually think of the aurora borealis. This was all over the world. 1874, the year of the locusts. Crop-destroying locust plagues were common occurrences in the late 19th century on the American frontier, but most paled in comparison to the one that descended on the Great Plains in 1874. The dust veil of 536 A.D., mid-6th century, cloud of grit and dust suddenly descended over much of the globe, dimming the sun, causing an uncommonly cold temperature for several years. And uh, this, I mean, this is recorded in history. It brought on a drought and crop failures and famine around the world. They speculate also that it might have been uh, one of the leading factors triggering the first outbreak of the bubonic plague in Europe. The Great Smog of 1952. I've seen pictures of this. Not all natural disasters are entirely natural. Man-made air pollution in London formed a mass of sooty smog that lingered for four days and wreaked havoc on air quality. 4,000 people died before the wind finally picked up and blew away the smog. Thousands more may have perished in the weeks and months that followed. Spurred by the disaster, British government later instituted the Clean Air Act of 1956. The Tunguska event. In, after 7 a.m., June 30th, 1908, a blinding light streaked across the sky of Siberia and exploded over uh, the Tunguska River. The shockwave that followed carried the force of 5 to 10 megatons of TNT, hundreds of times more powerful than the atomic bomb later dropped over Hiroshima. It obliterated nearly 500,000 acres of forest and knocked people off their feet for over 40 miles. Amazingly, no one was killed in the explosion, but its effects were felt across the globe. Atmospheric and seismic devices were tripped as far away as England, and for the next few nights, the skies were so bright that people in Asia could read newspapers outdoors. Now, despite of the lack of a smoking gun or crater, most scientists maintain that the Tunguska event was a result of a hit from a space rock. One possibility is that it was caused by an icy comet that evaporated upon impact, leaving little evidence of itself behind. Even more likely, a meteor around 65 to 100 feet in diameter exploded in the upper atmosphere and broke into tiny pieces. Witnesses supposedly reported hearing a noise, quote-unquote, like stones falling from the sky, end quote, after the initial blast and samples of decayed vegetation from Tunguska include high deposits of nickel, iron, and other substances commonly found in meteor impact sites. That is crazy. I've heard of that one. But I had never read this story. Very interesting. Well, you know what? We're at the end of the show. We talked about some disasters. Not to make us afraid. You know what? God's in control of the weather. He's in control of this earth. We have nothing to fear. We can trust in him. And uh, it's interesting to talk about the historical impact of some of these disasters. But again, it should never make us live in fear. And that's it for today. The fastest two hours of the week, at least my week, is live till 5. I'm your host, Jared Baldwin. Episode 179 on this Friday, March 19th. It's about 5 p.m. You're listening to Live Till 5 on 88.1 FM, KHMG, Barragata, Guam. 
Have a great weekend.